Hey, it's Heidi Dawson, and this is Wednesday Wisdom, where I interview wildly successful people from across the world, where we get an inside view into what their daily life looks like. Success leaves clues, and on Wednesdays, we're finding them. Join me now for the latest wildly successful interview. Hi guys, welcome to episode 75 of the Wildly Successful Lifestyle Podcast. And today is Wednesday Wisdom. You're going to love my guest. He's a New York Times bestselling co-author of The One Minute Negotiator. Um, He's also the CEO of Lucas Learning and Director of Business Development at Fred C. Church Insurance Firm that was founded in 1865. Now, he has a PhD in business and administration, and he was a professor of marketing at Texas A&M and the University of Memphis. Now, he also has conducted negotiation seminars on six continents, not to mention writing several other books as well. So buckle up because we're learning some negotiation tactics from the master. Hi, Dr. Lucas. How are you? Heidi, it's so good to be with you. This is the highlight of my week. I've been smiling every time I look at it on my calendar. <laughs> well, that makes my day. Thank you. We're, I, I am so excited to have you here. And your um, intro is so impressive. You know, that's a lot of accomplishments. So I know you're a super busy guy. But thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm honored to be your 75th Diamond Anniversary guest. That's right. I'll try and live up to it. That's right. That's awesome. So, well, we'll get right into it because there is a question that I love to ask everybody and then we get into negotiating techniques. So do you have, do you have a a regular routine? I mean, I know you're super busy. Do you have a regular morning routine that you have done that you could share with us? Well, I have two routines, so it kind of depends in in which mode I'm in. If in my, if I'm in my writing mode, which I love to be in the writing mode. Uh, then I then I get up about five o'clock and, and get a, a cup of coffee going and get in my office, which uh, I have this gorgeous view over the lake here in Winchester, Tennessee. And uh, I'll get to writing and I'll crank out uh, 1,500, 2,000 words. Wow. And then start what is my... My normal day would begin, if I'm not in in writing mode, will begin about 6 o'clock. And um, Austin, my special needs son, um, lives with my wife Kelly and myself here. So the morning um, really focuses on getting him up. He's an early bird, too. He loves to get up early. When I get up early to write, he's usually wanting to be up here with me. Okay, that's good. Yeah, get him up, get him ready, get him cleaned up, get him ready for his day program. Uh, I always include a, a, a daily Bible verse reading, um, which uh, I have on an app on my phone. And by the way, your husband, Eric, has turned me on to a, um, a meditation app which uh, I've, got, I've now got the app on my phone, so that's a start. Now, Heidi, what I've found is that's just a start. You have to start using the app. So <laughs> that's on my list for next week. People used to say, well, it helped me to buy your book, and, and my answer was always no, but it'll help me. <laughs> uh, it'll only help you if you actually buy and read the book. 
Okay, I love that. That made me my favorite statement of the week. <laughs> it is only going to help you if you read it. I love it. Okay, good. Well, that sounds like a really good morning routine and also super busy, which I, I knew it would be. Um, now, to be a good negotiator, I think, which I think it to be a good anything, you need a lot of sleep. Do you have, require a certain amount of sleep or are you one of those four-hour guys? I wish I could say I was one of those four-hour guys, Heidi, but I'm going to tell you nothing but the truth here today. All right, good. I, I'm somebody. I'm somebody that needs seven and a half or eight hours. I think sleep is way underrated by a lot of people. And uh, like I said, I can I can start early in the morning. And by the way, my my firm that I work with, Red Sea Church, is up in outside the Boston area, so they're an hour ahead of me in in terms of time zones. So. I can start as early as you want me to, but I, I, I don't do well doing late. Um, usually by about 4.30, 5 o'clock, uh, I pretty much shut it down and spend some time with my wife, Kelly, and, and my son, and, and, and many times some friends, and, and then get a decent night's sleep. I need it. Other people don't. I've, I've worked with people that should get by on three, four, five. You know, I've done it. Uh, I can do it for a, for a night or two, you know, talking about negotiation training. I've had days where I've done, or, or weeks where I've done two hours in San Francisco, or two days in San Francisco, flown all night, get into Newark about five o'clock in the morning, going to New York City, and then two days back to back. Um, but by the, uh, about the third day, I'm not sure what my name is or why I'm there. So it doesn't work out for me very well. I have yet to interview anyone so far that works well off three to four hours of sleep. Now, I know they're out there. I know they are. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going to run into them soon, but I have, I have yet to find that. So, I mean, I think for, for me, and the more I'm learning about the brain and how it actually is so, so important for our brain function to be able to, I mean, for us to get our sleep. So, that's great. I, I think seven and a half to eight hours is really good. And it probably makes everyone feel better too, because I have to have eight hours of sleep. It's nice to know others that are really successful do as well. So, okay. Now negotiating. You are not alone, Heidi Dawson. You are not alone. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm so glad. All right. So negotiating to me is, is an art. Um, how often during the day do you think that we are all negotiating? infinitely more than we think we are because it's something many times we're just not aware of. We're not aware of it in our professional lives because we usually only recognize negotiations as being something with another firm, maybe a client, maybe a vendor, whatever the case might be. Right. But there are many negotiations that take place inside your, inside your organization. Uh, that could include budgetary allocations, that could include prioritization, that could include access to senior management time. So, so that's much more prevalent than we realize. And those many times are the toughest because we think we've got the same logo on our business card, that we're all in here for the same purpose. And frequently that's not the case. Right. And then in our personal lives, we culturally do less of it than many people around the world uh, because, you know, we don't go to the grocery store or order uh, 
clothing or groceries or whatever online and then negotiate with the computer to say, eh, you know, I understand you're asking, you know, 1275, but, you know, I really, I'm feeling more like 1125. Mm -hmm. So we remove or go to the store and, you know, they do the scanners and, you know, you go, oh, I, I know you're asking, uh, a dollar and a quarter for these green beans, but they're dented, and now you got a lot of them back there. So we have removed negotiation out of much of our lives, but it's still there. You know, when we decide where are we going on vacation, we going to the beach, we going to the mountains, we gonna go somewhere, we gonna stay home. Right. Uh, we're coming up on what I like to call negotiation season because it's got the holidays, oh, uh, Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, Hanukkah. You know, where, when are we going to go to your family? When are we going to go to my family? Are we going to have people here? Um, so all of those nego all of those events have uh, very strong negotiation overtones to them. Kelly and I have been remodeling the kitchen. We're kind of in the final phases of that. Uh, you wouldn't believe it, but are we going to have a 36-inch range? Are we going to have a 30-inch range? Uh, all of that comes so down to negotiation. I love that. That's so true. And I, I feel like that when I when I was asking that question, I kind of thought this, this is going to be something where most of the things we do in life require some sort of negotiating. And I hadn't thought about that in our culture. We don't negotiate price, really. If you travel, you see that they do. In fact, I think we're kind of uncomfortable with it. Um, when, I, when I go um, to other places in the world and somebody's like, you should negotiate for that. And I'm going, uh, I would never even think about doing that. <laughs> I mean, that's the price. Yeah, we kind of think it's, we kind of think it's beneath us. But it's really not. You know, particularly if you're um, going to a store and maybe having some custom tailored uh, clothing done or some alterations done um, to say, you know, I'm, I'm investing quite a bit of money here. Uh, I'm sensing that maybe a, a, a blouse or in, or in guy's case a tie or maybe a scarf uh, would, would really make me feel better about this deal. But the worst thing they're going to, the great thing about negotiation Heidi, in a situation like that, you've already got what you've got. I mean, it's not going to get any worse. They're, they're not going to say, oh, well, since you asked, the price is going to go up. Worst case, you're already living with the worst case scenario. It can only get better. So try it. It's, it's, and you feel good about yourself when you do it. All right. That's a great point. So how much does our facial expression and our body language have to do with negotiation then while we're on that topic? Well, and, you know, now that we're doing so many of our negotiations and conversations and meetings via text, uh, I did a good bit of work in uh, Kuala Lumpur for one of my clients. They will negotiate uh, a million-dollar deal on packaging with nothing but text. Wow. Um, and now we do so many. Of, I scared the heck out of them. Yeah, that was um, And now we're doing, oh. Yeah, I mean, oh, off a decimal. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we met 100,000. Now we do. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. We, we are, we're losing money on every delivery, but we also make it up on volume. Um, but now that we're doing so much with Zoom, 
We're doing so much with email. Uh, we over-rely on email in the negotiation process. I found particularly younger people, and, and I'll tell them, pick up the phone and call them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I think I'll just kick them an email. And I'm like, what part of pick up the phone and call them? Yeah. Uh, or as we can in, in um, social distancing world, go over there and see it. Because as you're pointing to, Heidi, we miss, well, with an email or a text, you miss tone, you miss context. Yeah. There's absolutely no body language, facial expression, anything like that. And even with Zoom or GoToMeeting or whatever tool you might be using, there's a lot of the visuals there that you're missing. It, it's, a lot of the research shows that about 75 to 80 percent of communication in any setting is is not the words wow. it's the tone and the visuals the body language and everything that goes along with it wow so but you definitely touched on an important point yeah so then then covid uh has probably changed people's business quite a bit if i mean that's the case where it's 75 to 80 percent is is ah your your facial expression in negotiation so um on that line, then, you said when the younger generation tend to want to email, do you think that that's possibly because of a fear of rejection? I mean, so many of us have a, a phobia of a fear of rejection. And does that have play a role in negotiation? I mean, like a lack of confidence, you're afraid to say no, have somebody reject you to your face, so you email them. <laughs> I could see myself doing that. And, 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 you know, Heidi, it's interesting because it's actually the opposite. It is harder to reject you face-to-face. -face. It is really easy so to respond to an email with, I'm just not interested. Right. Or a phone call and we'll see, okay, are, are you trying to sell me something here? Be hanging up. But you picked up the key word there, phobia, because we did coin the word negotiophobia. Uh, which surprisingly had never been used before. And uh, I'm sitting in the Salt Lake City Airport, and I'm like, people are afraid to negotiate. Negotiophobia. Oh, my gosh. Somebody's already latched on to negotiophobia, right? So I start checking it out. Negotiophobia.net, negotiophobia.com, negotiophobia.org. No one in all of the uh, considerations that we've given to negotiation over literally hundreds, if not thousands of years, no one had really latched on to the fact that, that people have a, a very, very strong fear of doing it. And you're right, it's rejection. I really think more than anything else, it's ambiguity. And uh, we're working on one ambiguity. People can't handle, they want certainty in their life. I'll never forget, we were working on a very large uh, insurance claim settlement, and uh, my firm had managed to get $10 million for uh, the CFO at the organization for the claim that they had. And we said to him, if you'll give us another week, we think we can get $11 million. Give us a shot of $11 million. And he said, I'll take the 10 round. We're like, a week? We can get you another million dollars. I mean, this was an organization that, that uh, certainly needed the cash flow associated with a million dollars. But he, you know, it's the old, what do we hear growing up? You know, a bird in the hand. Better than two. Um, so I'd rather have the bird in the hand than the one in the bush. So I'll just take what I've got right now and go with it. Wow. 
Yeah, so I love that in your book, it talks about that that phobia, negotiophobia. I, I think that's crazy. It hadn't been thought of and you just thought of it in an airport. That's great. So negotiophobia, then that's really just the fear of negotiating. And I think, I don't know, I, do you think that a lot of people have that? <laughs> Is everybody have yeah. that? Okay, yeah, I, I would think so. And I slip, Heidi, I, I have to confess to you, I slip back into it. Yeah. You know, I'll just, you know, go with the, okay, let's just not mess with it. Let's just do with what we've got. And it comes from really a lack of experience. As you said, culturally, we don't do it all that much in our, in our personal purchase decisions. We mentioned the fear of ambiguity. Um, and it's also a lack of training. Uh, you mentioned the six continents, which, you know, this kid from Kansas City has been very blessed to go to South Africa and stand on the wall of China, Great Wall of China. By the way, it is great. Um, go throughout Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Latin America, um, and all of that. And when I'm in the room with people who negotiate uh, in a major fashion in their, in their business life, I'll ask the question, how many of you have ever read a book? Um, attended an online course, gone to a, a seminar on the topic of negotiation, and I, time and time again, I'll only see somewhere between 20 and 25% have ever done anything to build their skills. It's crazy. And yet like, they do it every day. Well, yeah, I was reading your book, um, the beginning of it, and it talks about that where you know, the, you did some sort of polling at a meeting and there were like two people that had ever had any kind of, it's crazy because it's such a tool that we just talked about. We use in everyday life, all of us, and we're not getting better at it. And, and like you said, culturally, we don't do that a lot in America. It makes us a little uncomfortable. So we should be focusing on it. That's why everybody needs to, to get your book, The One Minute Negotiator, because it really is interesting and it really is good. Um, so now- Well, I have to give you a little backstory, Heidi. I'm um, sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, you, you go need right to just ahead. put the stop sign up on me. <laughs> just a real quick backstory: how I got involved in negotiations. I was uh, on faculty at the University of Memphis and um, is actually the School of Accountancy, came to the marketing department, and at that point in time, they had to add about another five or six courses to the, uh, uh, the accountants, accountancy uh, curriculum, uh, because basically you had to have a, a master's of accountancy to sit for the CPA exam, and they said, we're looking at this, and we've gone to the accounting firms and the senior partners, and we asked them, what skill are our graduates missing? And they were absolutely shocked that the number one answer was negotiation skills. Wow. And so they didn't know where else to turn, so they came to the marketing department. And uh, Pat Shule, who was my colleague there, he's the, the guy behind Dr. Patrick Perkins, is Pat Shule. Okay. Uh, they came to us and said, can you put together um, a, a couple of graduate level courses, MBA level courses, in on negotiation, and we did, and the, the, the companies coming to recruit our students loved it so much that it became one of the first questions they'd ask a candidate, did you take the negotiation course? Wow. And if they did, awesome. they yeah. were in a better position. Of course. So we expanded it, we added an undergraduate curriculum, and 
you know, that's how this marketing guy got involved in the in the world of negotiation. I so love sorry it. for that. No, that's a great sidebar story. there. That's a great story. Um, so, so when you're teaching these skills, then what do you think is the number one? Is there one negotiating skill that is crucial and that everyone should have? And if there's, we had to learn something, it'd be that one. I'm yes, throwing hard is. questions at you here. <laughs> yes, there is. So I guess you want to know what it is, right? Yeah, I do. It's active listening. Active, active listening. Wow. And by active listening, I mean a couple of things. Number one, asking better questions. Right. Which the better questions have, particularly in, in significant negotiations, they have to be developed in advance. Uh, because left to our own devices, as you did, and, and, I, and I had some fun with you on it, is there a number one skill? And right. I said, yes. Yes as opposed to what is the number one skill that You're people right. should develop. You're absolutely right. So going to open-ended questions, and, and, and people struggle to, to craft questions, but it really comes down to who, what, when, where, how, and why. Right. So a better question, but let me tell you what else is missing. Many times people will ask a good question in a negotiation, but they'll fail to probe. They'll take the very first answer and they'll go to the very next question. I was working with a guy out on the West Coast and he had a meeting coming up to about a 30 minute meeting. And he sent me his questions for the meeting and he had 25 questions for a 30 minute meeting. Oh my word. I'm like, buddy, this is not inquiry this is interrogation i'm like are you going to take a rubber hose and shine a light in his eyes and you know beat the answers out of him or what oh my and he's God. like well what do you mean i go with 25 questions you will never get past i love the book uh let's get real or next let's not play by mahan Khalsa. okay it's a great it's a great book on, on business development he talks about peeling the onion yeah and you know, it, it, it's, it, it's a great visual, Heidi, because the outer layers of the onion, frankly, aren't worth much. Right. You know, if you're cooking, you got to throw the four or five outer layers away to get down to a part of the onion that you can use. And what needs to happen after a great question is that follow-up of the, well, tell me more about that. Yes. Who would be involved in that? What's your timetable for doing that? And then there's the third piece, that, that's the probe. There's also the clarification. Uh, this is a big deal for me, all right? Okay. How big? How would you rank it up? Is this like the number one issue in your life? You know, you're looking at buying a new house or buying a new car. Or you're looking at getting some personal life insurance. Or, I'm going to say it's big. How, how big is big? How big, yeah. Uh, and I'd like to do something soon. And I've seen so many people in a meeting, they'll say, I'd like to do something soon. And they just write down the word soon. And I'm kicking them under the table. You know, it's kind of like, hey. What does soon? What is soon? Yeah. What is soon? Right. Is soon my end of day? Is soon my end of week? Is it this year? <laughs> so it's a great question, which is open-ended most of the time. Okay. Uh, it is a follow-up probe. Tell me more, and then it's seeking clarification on anything that's really 
not clear. Now, let me say this. There is a time for a closed-ended question, and that's at the end where Heidi, you and I are talking. I'm like, okay, Heidi, we're going to do this. Yes, we are. But it's really, it's, yeah, it's really only to confirm that an agreement has been reached. But people, people use it way too soon. That's awesome. Okay, I like that. That's really good. So asking better questions is really the key to most things in life, I think. And then active listening. Um, okay, so active listening. When you mean active listening, you don't mean thinking about what you're going to say next. You mean actually listening to what they're saying and then have a follow-up question that takes it even further. And, and then, you know, I think you're also creating a sense of, Hey, this person actually kind of cares about me. They are interested in what I have to say. And that is another key. I think when you're creating, um, building rapport, you know, so that's awesome. I like that. Now in the book, you also talk about competition versus collaboration and that's something that really stood out to me where you know the competition is kind of you're fighting over a piece of the pie um, which I think a lot of the, I don't know if it's just a, our culture does that where it's like oh there's one piece of the pie and you only get so much of it whereas collaboration is you're focused on on is on growing the pie and because that's so such a beautiful way to look at negotiation. So how can we use that like in our day-to-day -day lives? How would we develop that, that skill of collaboration versus competition? Yes, and, and it's a huge difference between the two. And you know, everybody talks about win-win, Heidi. Right. But I found that most of the people that say win-win have no idea what win-win really is right and to your point it is growing the pot and the key thing to do that is take off the blinders right we, we're, we're, we're so quick uh, in our culture to focus on price and a, a smart negotiator will tell you I'll let you set the price you let me set the terms and the conditions and the deliverables and the time frame and I will beat you in this negotiation every single time. So don't get fixed. Price, I like to say, is fool's gold. Okay. Don't get fixated on just the price. You know, what else is at here in play? Quality, uh, like I said, time frame, right. dependability. Um, I did a project for uh, a company you're very familiar with, FedEx. And uh, one point in time, they were like, we need to do this thing in the herd. And I said, okay, do you have budget? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, well, as long as we can be uh, very flexible on what the fee or what the price is going to be, then it would be very easy for us to work together because I have the time, you're in a hurry. But don't tell me that you're in a hurry and you don't have any budget. Now, there's a, a famous sign that was apparently up in a butcher shop that said, uh, what was it? Speed, quality, and price, pick two. You can have two. That's right. You can have three. You, can, you can have speed and quality, but it's going to be at a price. That's true. You can have speed and price, but it's going to be at a reduction in quality. So finding those 
ways, it is particularly in buying a home, I found a home that I bought in Collierville. Um, they had cut the price fairly dramatically, uh, so I knew they didn't want to budge on price. So I focused instead on about 25 things that I wanted them to do if we were going to buy this particular house. Things to fix, things to add, uh, a, long, a long list. And they came back very quickly and said, great, we got a deal. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I ran into the guy, uh, he came by to pick up some mail a little bit later, and he's like, do you know what those 25 things we did for you cost? Oh, my goodness. And I said, no, I hope it wasn't too much. I had no idea. <laughs> and he's like, God, that, that was a lot of money to get all that stuff done. And they said, by the way, what do you do for a living? And I said, I train people in negotiations. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he wanted to, he probably well, wanted to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the grow the pie kind of mindset. You know, right. we, we normal, a lot of times we'll think of it in terms of barter. That, you know, you have something that you want to sell and I have something that I wouldn't mind getting rid of. And instead of uh, me buying something from you and me selling what I want to sell to somebody else, can we find a way to, to do the barter process? But it goes well beyond that. Well yeah, beyond that. make it work for, for both of us. Okay, so um, the character in your book is super interesting. I felt his agony over the decision to like swallow his pride and embrace the new protocol that was taking place. And yeah. I, but I also love how resilient and self-aware he is. You know, sometimes you think of, uh, when I think of, uh, being a long-term employee, you think maybe they're tired or they don't want to, to take on the new, new systems or whatever. And he is so open to that. Now, is this a fictional character, or, or did you have it, is it around someone you know? It's around someone that I know very well. You have to be careful, Heidi. You're probably going to end up in one of my subsequent books. I'll change your last name. But we'll, we'll, there will be a Heidi in the subsequent. Okay. Um, George Lucas. Uh, and probably an Eric as well. Okay. But um, he was my he was my pledge son in college, and he went. He's gone on to a very successful career in in sales. Awesome. And uh, and I know Jay very very well. And you know his first reaction to uh, any new initiative is, "I've already got this figured out." Right. Come on, folks. Uh, yeah, don't change the game on me. Uh, and particularly in today's world, and you know he he didn't Jay didn't immediately you know, go to this thing. He had a little time, no. I think it's there in chapter two, where he's yeah. up on deck and he's thinking about what his options are. When changes like this come along in your organization or in your life, um, embrace them. Don't just accept them. Don't try and avoid them. Embrace them. And that's what he eventually did. Well, I want to say this because I, I knew it had to be somebody that you knew or maybe it was you or something because I, I felt him so deeply and I felt like I had tears in my eyes when he was showed up to the, the meeting the next morning with a super great attitude because how easily it could have been and, and we're kind of talking about the book so if you haven't read it go read it but um, how, how easy would it have been for him to ruin 
the entire trip because he didn't win the award. But when, um, you know, his, his at, at attitude about it was so great. So anyway, I'm glad that, I'm glad that that was the case that you knew the character. Um, now in your book, Can I for a real quick story. Can yes, I, real quick absolutely. Story? I love stories. In, in a, a negotiation class I did down in Atlanta, um, I, I, a very senior person uh, had a very different attitude to what Jay had in, in the book. He came up to me at the start of the day and he said, I want you to know something. The average duration of an initiative in this company is about 18 months. I can hold my breath that long. Oh boy. <laughs> I, I ran into him about two years later when we were still working on the negotiation skills and I, I had to be a little bit of a smart aleck. I said, so how's that breath holding thing really working out for you? Oh boy. Right now. So, and, and you notice something else that, that Jay did. He sat right down front. Right. Now, yep. sometimes you have a chance to, uh, to attend virtually and sometimes you have a chance to attend face to face. My recommendation to everybody is be down front. I used to, I'd have a seating chart in my more senior level courses or a master's level course. And at the end of the semester, I would always put the grades of the students on the seating chart. And Heidi, it was amazing the way they shook out. The A's were in the first row, the B's, and C's were in like rows two through four. The wow. D's were further back and the F's were further back. And that's a sign of, you know, embracing. You yeah. know, get get up, get up front and participate. Ask questions. Now that we're in Zoom meetings, you know, there's this crazy little chat function down there at the bottom. Yeah. You know, use it. Be be a participant. Don't just be someone that sits and waits for it to be over, you know, and which, which yeah. your book, it could have been easy because they were in a beautiful tropical place and, or, well, I, it was somewhere really warm and he could have really wanted the, the seminar to end, but he embraced it. And I love that. I love, love, love learning and growing. And I love that your character does that as well. So, and uh, so always sit in the front row. I'm going to take that to heart. Uh, I love that. So your book is called The One Minute Negotiator. We've been talking about it. And I think everybody should read it because I think we, as we discussed, we're doing it every day in our, all of our life. Um, and you really do get so tied in to Jay, like the main character. Um, can you give us a little preview? I don't want to give it all away because I want people to read it, but your um, one minute drill process. Sure. And we, you know, people love acronyms. Because um, it helps us remember stuff. That's By the way, I, I have a basic rule: an acronym should be no longer than four letters. <laughs> I, I worked with some companies that had like a an eighteen letter acronym. No, I'm like, what does that stand for? I don't know. Just shut up and go with it. I can't even remember so, letters. Yeah, I know we have the easy process: E A S Y. Okay. So number one in the one minute drill is to engage. Realize we've got a negotiation here. Not everything's a negotiation. Uh, if there's an upfront agreement, you know, hey, where, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? Uh, oh, let's go down to the backstage. That's great. Uh, fantastic. I agree. Let's do it. That's not a negotiation. Right. That was an upfront agreement. But the negotiation takes place is, 
well, what do you want to do for what do you want to do for dinner tonight? And I say, let's go to the backstage. And my wife says, you know, I'd really rather hang out here and you know cook something here and go, you know, just hang out on the porch and open a bottle of wine. Now we got a negotiation going on. So number one, engage, realize this is a negotiation, and start start thinking of it that way. Get your head around it. Without that, Heidi, nothing else happens. Okay. Um, then assess. What are my tendencies and what are the tendencies of the other person that I'm negotiating with? I don't know. Did you take, have you had a chance to take the 20 question self-assessment quiz? No, I, I haven't. Is that, is that, I will though. I, I kind of, is that in the end or? Yeah, it's in there. And by the way, I, I'd encourage you to take it and, and get Eric to take it. And, uh, you know, maybe make a copy or whatever and do it on different sheets of paper. Okay. Um, but it, it really helps you understand what you are most prone to do. Because some people, you mentioned competition and collaboration. Some people are, are, are wired. There's two others. Avoidance, which is, I don't want to talk about it. I'll just do my own thing and hope you don't notice. Uh, and there's also accommodation which is, I'll just give in to whatever you want. Okay. You know? And then I will, of course, make you feel guilty about it for eternity. I will remind you again and again and again. So to understand, everybody shows up highest on collaboration because that's what you want, what most people want to be. Uh, but when you really dig deeper, you find out there's a lot more accommodation and avoidance in all of us. In our culture, almost nobody shows up highest on competition. Okay. Um, but it's interesting when I'll have people do it like six months later, um, after they've gone through the training program, competition is the one that goes up the most. And accommodation is the one that goes down the most. Okay. Because they realize what they're doing and, and giving, giving away. So strategize. Now, what about, what about the other side? People are incredibly predictable. People don't change their style up. If, if, if it's a family member or a colleague or whatever you work with, and they're normally collaborative, you're going to see collaboration. They're normally avoidance, you're going to see avoidance taking right. place. So that's the assessment and how that matches up. And we could go into a long discussion, which we don't have the time for, of how those strategies from each side would match up. But okay. it, it's in the book. And then, so then, then comes strategize. Okay. Based on my tendencies and the other side's tendencies in the situation, is it best to go collaborative? Is it best to go competitive? There are times when it's best to accommodate. Um, you know, when you run out of gasoline uh, on the road and a tow truck comes by, mm -hmm. um, I vote accommodation. Happened to me <laughs> one time in South Texas. I'm like, what do you want? Amex, Rolex? What are you looking for? Because I, I didn't want to be out there in the desert with the rattlesnakes. Right. So, you know, know when it's time to accommodate. Okay. And we give people in the book some guidance on how to accommodate. But pick your number one strategy and then pick your number two strategy. Okay. A lot of people go in with only one strategy. And if that strategy doesn't work, you want to go in and collaborate with somebody. And in prepping people, I'll always ask, all right, but what if they come competitive? And they'll go, hope they don't. And I go, hope? 
is a wonderful thing. It just doesn't happen to be a strategy. So what if they don't? We've got to be prepared to respond competitively if we're seeing competitive tactics from the other side of the table. Right. So what's my, it's like taking your umbrella. I don't think it's going to rain today, so I'm not going to take the umbrella in the car, Heidi. How's that work out for you usually? No, you're always. When you got your umbrella? <laughs> yeah, when you got your umbrella, you don't need it. That's and right. When you don't have your umbrella, you always need it. Uh, you go in the store, I don't need it. It rains on you. So have that, I call it the umbrella strategy. Okay. Have that umbrella strategy to be ready. And, and, you probably won't need it, but you need to be prepared for it. And then the why, we had to come up with a why, Heidi. So the why is your one-minute drill. That's your one-minute drill. Your Engage, assess, strategize. That's your one-minute drill. And we did a lot of media when the book came out. I did some drive-time radio in L.A. and an interview with the New York Post. Uh, and they always wanted to say, well, you can't negotiate in one minute. And I would say, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But you can definitely get your mind right for a negotiation with the EASY uh, approach. Some negotiations have lasted centuries. I mean, you know, look in the Middle East. Right. Uh, it's a classic example. And then some negotiations to figure out where we go to dinner is only 30 seconds. Right. So it can be done in one, one minute, but the prep always needs to take place and that's relatively easy done in a, easily done in a minute so are do you still have like courses on um negotiation out there or um what how is that working today because i know you've done a lot of these seminars this, this seems very valuable well uh our, our ongoing courses out there is uh again for accountants western cpe I believe is is still offering that course online, nice. uh, and and Don Hudson is uh, my lead author on the book. Uh, he's still regularly doing courses in negotiation. I got to tell you, Heidi, my day job has has uh, taken me off the platform for a while. I still do uh, a number of sessions for specific companies. I have one that I'm pretty excited about. It's coming up in about three weeks. It's going to have Singapore, New York, uh, Bermuda, and London on the webinar at the same time. How fun. So that's always an interesting phenomenon. That should be interesting for sure. Awesome. Well, so what advice would you give? I know that you've written several books, not just this book, but you've written some other ones as well. What advice would you give to someone that kind of just changing it up just a little bit that wants to be an author? Let me add the first thing I will ask people and a number of people approach me. My first question back is again, an open-ended question. It's why. Right. Why would it be an author? And it's amazing how many people that will say they want to be an author, but they've never really thought about why. Because it is a phenomenal investment of time and effort to uh, write uh, a well-done book. So why are you doing it? And, a lot, and, and the people that do answer will sometimes say, oh, I, I want to make money. Right. And my answer is, 
take up a second job. Yeah. You'll make infinitely more money if that's your number one motivation oh, uh, yeah. doing something other than writing a book, particularly at this day and age. You know, the, the bookstore is, is non-existent anymore. Right. Um, you know, the ones that still exist, I'll go in there and go, you have a copy of the one minute negotiator? No, we got a bunch of them, but they sold out. I go, oh, have you reordered? And they're like, no, no, we're, we're more into coffee, frankly, now than, than selling books. Yeah. And be like, super. Great. So, but if your motivation is that you have things inside you that you want others and you believe others would benefit from, right. and Heidi, I'm, I'm reading your manuscript right now, and, and it's, it's absolutely and totally phenomenal. Oh. You're, you, you're naturally a very, very gifted writer. Oh my goodness, thank you for saying passion, that. Oh, the passion really comes through. And, and your story is, is so helpful for other people. Uh, and that's why, that's why you write a book. Well, if the answer is the right answer, then people normally just sit down and start writing. Right. And that's the wrong way. Right. Build yourself an outline. That's right. You know, the A heads, the chapter heads, the B heads, the C heads. Once you get the outline done, uh, you've got the skeleton, then it's a much easier process to start hanging the flesh, if you will, That's actual words great, great. on that skeleton. That's really great advice. Uh, when I started writing my book, it was, I had that same advice from someone. And, you know, when I was, I was, I hadn't written a, written a word and the same thing, um, someone, I had a coach that I was working with and he said, you can, you will write so much better if you have an outline and you know exactly, and it doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to be the exact outline you're going to end up with. Just have an outline that outlines what you want to talk about, what you want to say. And once I had that, I just couldn't stop writing, you know, and so it, I spent a lot of time writing the outline, and then I, it made the writing a, a much easier. So I think that's really great advice. Um, thank you for that. I'm glad you brought that to the to the forefront because it can help people just sure. look out. Wonderful. Okay. Sure. Now, one last question, and this is one of the most interesting. I get a lot of really interesting answers from this. What advice would you give to yourself mm -hmm. if you were just starting out? That is a phenomenal question. Um, I would say, if I could talk to the to the young George Lucas, yes, uh, be prepared to be amazed. Uh, I Heidi have led an amazing life. Uh, I have been. I credit most of it, frankly, to being in the right place at the right time. Right. Um, I was at the University of Missouri when they had the best faculty that they had in years there, and I learned so much from them. Um, I was at Texas A&M University when they, when they started their Center for Retailing Studies program, which is now world-renowned. Uh, many of your listeners will recognize Neiman Marcus. Yeah. Uh, I was Mr. Stanley Marcus's driver. You see the movie Driving Miss Daisy? Well, I was driving Mr. Marcus. Oh, wow. So Mr. Marcus didn't really like, to, yeah, he didn't like to fly. And uh, he came down and spoke to our students at Texas A&M. 
uh, multiple times. And if you know anything about Texas geography, from Dallas to College Station, it's about a three-hour drive. And I was the youngest faculty member in the group, so I got, sorry, George, you got to drive to Dallas and pick up Mr. Marcus and bring him back. <laughs> and three hours each way in a car with Stanley Marcus was, you know, some of the most amazing time in, in my life. And when my very first journal retailing publication came out, Mr. Marcus wrote me a handwritten note, you know, talking about how much he enjoyed his time with me and wished me great success going forward. I've gotten to meet some remarkable people remarkable people in my life. So embrace those opportunities. You'll, you'll get a, a great number of opportunities in your life. Some people miss them. Right. Some people mismanage them. But embrace those opportunities that come into your life and, and you know, get the maximum value out of them by, by putting the maximum amount of yourself into them. That's a and the other thing I would say is, People are amazing. Yeah. Some of them are amazingly good, and some of them are amazingly bad. <laughs> uh, but you will learn something from the good ones and the bad ones. I'm as good of a writer as I am because when I was in the graduate program, I had a management faculty member who wanted to run me out of the program. So he beat the every 11 day lights out of me and had me write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And uh, Dr. Wall did not intend to make me a great writer, but he did. He made me a much, much better writer as far as that goes. So I could go on, and I, as you all know by now, I can go on and on about just any topic, including a box of Kleenex. But, you know, those are the two things I would, I would say. Expect I love that. And I, to be amazed. People are amazing. I love that, you know, because you're saying that you're – you had a lot of opportunities and this is what a lesson that everyone can take, including me. I love it is to notice the opportunities first of all, and, and take them. And if, if they feel right, take them. And even if you don't feel qualified, sometimes take them. And even if you feel like maybe you're unqualified or, or too qualified, like you with the driver, um, I, I have an experience too where I was in design and I didn't really want to take this job because I was like, oh, I'm not doing one room spaces, you know, and I come to find out it was my best project I've ever done. And I met one of my dearest friends that I'll, I'll forever be grateful for. So don't ever underestimate the power of saying yes to opportunities um, and embrace them. I love that. And then people are amazing. You can learn from good ones and you can learn from bad ones. I love that. So, well, this has been so fun and I love your book. I can't wait to finish it. In fact, I've got it marked right now for the 20 question quiz that I'm going to take right now. And um, is there, is it on, it's on Amazon because I know that's where I got it. So is that how the best way for people? It's to on Amazon. Okay. Well, and I would point them to uh, donhudson.com okay. as well, um, because right now Amazon only has the one-minute negotiator in, in Kindle, and a lot of people are Kindle users. Uh, uh, I personally am a paper book person because I mark them up, I dog ear them, I put sticky notes on them and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, so Don's got the hard copy. He's also got 
Um, the other book that I work with him on, The Contented Achiever, um, available as well. Okay. Um, uh, Amazon has both of uh, both of those for the Contented Achiever hard copy and Kindle. Um, but yes, buy uh, a book if you're going to read a book, and it, and and it will help you if you put it into practice. Yes. And a lot of people told me on particularly the one minute negotiator to your point, Heidi, and you're so kind that they read it once just to read the stories. Right. You know, I love writing in the uh, what's called the uh, the parable format, which you know, the one minute negotiator, the one minute manager, the one minute entrepreneur. You know, who moved my cheese? Uh, raving fans. I mean, that's the Ken Blanchard style that we were so yes. fortunate to write in. They read it once because they just wanted to read the story, and then they actually came back to uh, to pick up the skills. And uh, I, I definitely in, in endorse that kind of approach as well. Yeah, I think that. And Ken Blatcher did a foreword in this book, which is huge. So he did. Yeah, that's incredible. Very kind. All right, Dr. Lucas, this has been so much fun. I learned so much, and I'm so excited and thankful for, for you to be on here, and I can't wait to get in here and do this quiz and read your next book, The Contented Achiever. I hear it's good as well. Heidi, it's such, it's, it, it's such an honor. Tell me it's not over. Can we go for another you know, couple <laughs> hours here? We, we can probably run off all of your listeners, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's such an honor to be on with you and to be your 75th yes. uh, guest. And you are such a blessing to the people that, that have the opportunity to, to hear you and, and hear your ideas. And uh, I, I look forward to looking, working with you in the future and see if we can expose the, uh, the insightful Heidi Dawson to yes. uh, thousands, if not millions more people. Well, I'm excited as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends because we're just going to keep going bigger and better places together. And I love that about us. Talk to you in a few days.